Welcome to Jane Unchained, featuring best-selling author, TV journalist, and JaneUnchained.com founder, Jane Velez Mitchell. In the next few minutes, you'll hear a secret solution to the problems that plague our world. If you want to revolutionize your life, get truly joyful, and jump to the next phase of human evolution, all it takes is one simple choice. Now, here's your host, Jane Velez Mitchell. Good day! We can be happy, joyous, and free. We live in a world that can allow for infinite abundance. But what we have to do first is change our mentality. Life isn't a zero-sum game. It isn't kill or be killed. That's evolution. When we evolve to the point where we realize we do not have to kill to survive, we can all live in abundance, That's when we will have truly evolved to civilization as a species. Today, we're talking about wild horses. Everybody, and this is my little mascot, Rico, our rescue from Puerto Rico, to remind us that if we love animals, we should love our dogs and cats, but also all animals, including pigs and cows and chickens and horses. We're talking horses today. And everybody involved in this conversation loves horses, loves wild horses, but we have differing opinions as to how to save the wild horses. So we're going to have a dialogue today with two incredible people. I want to introduce Marty Irby of Animal Wellness Action, as well as Jillian Lyons of the Humane Society. So Marty, you reached out to me to say our wild horses are in crisis. We need to do something. There's a plan that you're not crazy about. You tell us why, why the wild horses are in crisis to begin with and how we can do a dialectic here uh, to try to reach a higher understanding of this subject. So take it away, Marty. Yeah, thank you, Jane, so much for having me. And thank you, Jillian, for being here as well today. I think the most important thing that people realize is that we have about 26.9 million acres of federal lands and 80,000 or so wild horses. The crisis, as many people will call it, is really about ranchers and cattlemen trying to take over federal lands so that they can raise beef cattle and therefore run the horses off the lands, whether they go to slaughter, whether they go to holding facilities, wherever they go. It's really about the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, their members and cattlemen and ranchers going out there and trying to remove the horses so that they can obtain those federal lands for their use. Uh, We're working in Congress. I know the Humane Society and the ASPCA released their plan last Monday, and we started last Monday, four of us from our organization lobbying against that plan and proposal in the appropriations that Congress is working on right now. And I know more people are coming in town and flying in this week to do the same. Uh, Joined by at least 15 or so more groups that have a letter jointly going to Congress today, including the American Wild Horse Campaign, who's the largest organization that is focused solely on this particular issue. And we're open to dialogue with anyone, want to try to solve the problem, but ultimately believe that this is not the So maybe we go to the Humane Society now, Jillian Lyons, and tell me what your plan is as you perceive it, and then we can hear why Marty thinks maybe there's another plan. Of course. 
So essentially, we came at this, we started in about 2015, because we realized that this was a very politically controversial issue, and that there were members of both the House and the Senate that were asking for everybody to sort of come together and talk about something that may be a little bit in the middle ground, but can get populations managed sustainably, but lessen some of that political crisis they hear from both sides of the table, those who want horses protected and those who want horses removed. So we really wanted to respect the wishes of Congress and work to have a dialogue with both sides of the issue. So essentially, we've been working on this since about 2015, and the plan has four components. The first is for the short term, continuing removals, if and only if those removals are coupled with large scale ma mandatory fertility control programs. The third part of the proposal is relocating those horses that are in pasture facility or that are removed from the range into pasture facilities um, and also removing horses that the BLM currently keeps in corral facilities to pasture facilities. And then the fourth part is increasing adoptions. So essentially, we put this four-tier plan, four plan together to envision that at the end of 10 years, large-scale removals in the United States will never be needed again on Bureau of Land Management plans. And that's really important to us because that's been happening for 50 years, and the BLM has removed almost 300,000 horses from the range with no end in sight. So this proposal really gives an end to that management paradigm that has been creating so much controversy for so many years. So, Marty, why do you think that it's a bad plan or that you have a better plan? Well, what we've been advocating for is language and appropriations by uh, House members, Dinah Titus from Nevada and Mr. Grijalva from Arizona, that would require 5% of the BLM's budget to be utilized on PZP, which is fertility control that Jillian is speaking of. And I don't personally agree with the plan. Many of the people that are in our organization don't agree with the plan, but we have just had droves of people, thousands of people contact us from uh, individual advocates to horse protection groups to equine industry groups that are opposed to this, mainly because there's no assurance that these horses can't go to horse to slaughter, to be slaughtered. Now, I know that people who may potentially adopt them may sign an agreement and say they won't really not a strong way to enforce that. Now, if the SAFE Act, which is the Safeguard American Food Exports Act, were a part of this deal, that would probably change most of the people who are out there's mind to feel comfortable that the horses won't be going to slaughter. Second to that, I would say, even if you take slaughter off of the table, and let's just say that uh, in a perfect world, none of these horses actually end up in slaughter, why is it okay for 15 to 20,000 wild horses to be removed from what I understand each year for a minimum of three years, but potentially up to 10 years, um, when other species under the Wildlife Department at the HSUS, such as bears, wolves, and uh, primates, other areas, uh, they probably would never consider removing those. I think this is about the fact that the cattlemen want the land to raise horses, and there has to be some other way to do this through fertility control to force the BLM to actually use it. They haven't previously had language in appropriations that mandated that they actually do this. They've had report language. And I think we just need to be stronger and heavier handed with Congress about making sure that PZP is used. Well, let me say a couple of things. One, at the end of the day, who is responsible 
I talk to horse rescuers who still eat animals. And it's not that much of a leap to make the connection of we had many, many, many more wild horses roaming the lands in the olden days, and they survived because there wasn't a need to remove them to create grazing land for cattle. It's our choices as consumers to eat animals. I don't. I don't eat animals or any byproducts, and look at me. People tell me I have too much energy. Um, and it's our choice to do that, and then we don't want to connect the dots that that's why these wild horses are being removed. So if I want to say one thing, if you're a horse rescuer, if you're an animal lover, you know, make the connection if you can. Open your heart to make the connection that it's our choice to eat a cow uh, that is the reason why the wild horses are being pushed off so that the cows can graze. So we can blame the industry, but at the end of the day, it is the consumer choice that is creating all of this. So these two good-hearted people are trying to navigate and they're having a dialectic about, you know, what's the best way. But the ultimate best way would be for us to uh, transition to a society where we're not killing animals and removing other animals, that we're um, living in peace and abundance with all beings. So that being said, Jillian, take it away where you're listening to what Marty said and you're like, yeah, but. So I think the yeah, but here is um, he's really right that the most important thing for me about everything that's transpired over the past week is that we really need to be having very open and honest conversations about how to manage wild horses across the board. But I think that the more these dialogues continue and the more that Congress sees that people are talking about it, then it can change a lot of things. But I think a lot of us that have been working on this issue for a very long time know that we have been going to Congress for years and saying, please just increase the use of PCP. And it has not been able to get through for 10, 15, 20 years. We've had that dialogue. HSLF has had people on the Hill every year lobbying on this. And I think it's important to know that fertility control is incredibly effective, but at the same time, to manage 80,000 wild horses on the range, an increase of 5% of fertility control just isn't going to have a population level effect on wild horses. So I think if this dialogue had begun, and that's why it's really important that we're having it now, if this dialogue had begun 10 years ago when there were 37,000 horses on the range, then 5% of the budget would have done a lot. But now the reality is that probably would address two or three herd management areas in the United States. And that's really not what Congress is looking for. So I think the sort of give and take here is that we really do. HSUS holds the registration to a form, a form of PCP. We think it is an incredibly important tool in this equation but it is just one part of the equation. And because Congress is looking for something to happen reasonably quickly and fertility control programs alone can take 10 to 15 to 20 years to stabilize a population, let alone reduce that population, it's just not enough. So I think really what's important is we need to figure out how to meet what Congress needs and 
force the agency to really start using fertility control and get this sort of political crisis that's been going on for so many years under control so we can start looking at healthy horses. They can start putting data into you know, rangeland science and looking at what those ranges can keep for horses and fixing all of the problems that they can't fix because they feel like the house is on fire. So I just think it's a, it's a really great dialogue and we have to keep having it. But I am worried that if we do not impress upon Congress right now that something needs to change right now, we are kicking the can down the road and really putting those horses at risk of being killed. We've got a caller, Shannon from Florida. What is your question or thought, Shannon? Uh, well, you know, I, I personally know some horses and donkeys that came from holding facilities that were taken out of the wild. Um, as long as like 15 plus years ago. And um, one in particular, uh, she was born in a holding facility. Her mother was taken out of the wild. And she was abused for nine years before she finally made it to a real animal sanctuary where she wasn't given a new job and a new career. And it is so scary to think about what could happen to them. But Jane, like you said, it's really a consumer issue. And we need to stop eating these poor innocent cows so that this land, there's nobody that's trying to be greedy to get it to raise these poor, innocent beings unnecessarily for food, which is destroying everything. Well, you make such an important point. I mean, let's face it. It's the leading cause of habit, animal agriculture. It's the leading cause of habitat destruction, wildlife extinction, and uh, this whole crisis with the wild horses. And, um, you know, our land can sustain a lot of wild horses. One of the things that I've noticed, and please correct me if I'm wrong, is that um, I've been reporting on this for years, and the BLM says, oh, we're helping these horses. They're starving. Well, no, they're not. I mean, I look at them, and I don't see the the bones. I see them giving birth to babies, and uh, I see in the roundup, sometimes these are pregnant mares, and their foals are running after them, terrified, with the helicopter roundups. So, uh I think the helicopter roundups are an abomination. And I'd like both of you to address that issue. That couple of things. One, the Bureau of Land Management, which is running the show here, is very heavily influenced by animal agriculture, which is the meat and dairy industry. And so they have their thumb on the scale. And B, these horrific helicopter wild roundups. And C, uh, the last time I reported on this, I think it was something like, Correct me if I'm wrong, 50,000 wild horses in BLM holding pens? I mean, that's insanity. So let's address those issues if we can, starting with Marty. Yeah, um, and I'd like to jump back just for a minute. It was Jillian was talking about working with Congress and members of Congress uh, coming to the animal protection groups to try to work on this. I previously worked at the Humane Society and wasn't involved in this plan when I was there at that time. The I was over the equine department and wild horses are for some reason have always been part of the wildlife department there. But we had several members of Congress come to us over the past few months with the plan and say, hey, this is what the SPCA and the Humane Society is putting out there. We don't like this. We can't live with this. There has to be a better solution. Are you guys aware of this? So Congress is who brought it to our attention in the first place and the other groups that I don't mind sharing the names with later when I start talking about the letter that we're sending to Congress. Um, but I think that the roundups with helicopters are horrific. They're terrible. Just as the lady just talked about the incident where the horse had been abused 
for many years in the adoption process. I think, uh, Jillian, correct me if I'm wrong, when I was there, we worked on uh, a case with about a thousand wild horses out in Colorado, Elaine Nash had, and to my best recollection, HSU has spent about $300,000, and there may have been more money from other people and other organizations involved. And while that was um, a great feat, I can't imagine having uh, fifteen to 20,000 horses per year you're trying to do the same thing with or any percentage of that when it took so long with just 1,000. So answer that if you would, Jillian. So I think there are a couple of factors at play here. We know from recent testimony that the BLM wants to do an aggressive gather schedule in fiscal year 2020. So I think regardless of this plan, they are planning to go ahead in fiscal year 2020 with a lot of gathers and removals of horses in the United States. But what this plan does is say, you can't do those gathers unless you are implementing fertility control to end the need to keep doing them. And I think that's really important here because we need to be talking not just about what's happening this year, but what's happening over the long term of this program. And essentially, we all can agree that we don't want to see wild horses and burros continue to come off the range. But this is the only plan that's sort of modeled and put into place to say there will be an end to this in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And I think continuing that cycle of not putting that sort of end date allows these things to keep happening for 15, 20 more years. And I think it's really important that people that are working on this issue really across the board begin using things like data modeling and population modeling to look at what they're asking for, what it means, and what it will mean over the long term of the horses. Because what we are looking for at HSUS and the ASPCA is an end to this. We don't want to keep kicking the can down the road. We want it to be, you know, an entire population of wild horses managed with fertility control. And that would help phase out those holding facilities and stop horses coming off the range year and year and year in perpetuity. All right, we're going to take a short break, not on Facebook. We're going to remain live on Facebook, uh, but we are going to take a short break on Voice America Radio. We are talking about the crisis with America's wild horses. And if you love horses, I ask you to look in the mirror because if you're eating cows, that's the reason why the wild horses are being driven off the open range to make room for the cattle to graze. Cattle have a very strong lobby. The Cattlemen's Association, all of those associations, they are extremely powerful in Congress. Those wild horses, the only voices they have are ours. So if you're an animal lover, if you're, and, and the reason I'm saying this, to be quite honest with you, is I talk to people all the time who are rescuing horses, rescuing horses, rescuing horses, and then they're going and having a burger and they're not making the connection. If you want to rescue horses in perpetuity, effectively, strategically, stop supporting the industry that is driving the horses off the range. That means stop eating those animals, okay? So we're taking a short break. Let's come back in a second, but we're going to remain live on Facebook. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. 
Tune in to the Tony D'Urso Show with key influencers for entertaining and thought-provoking weekly discussions with some of the top stars in their fields. From business, sports, and science to entertainment, music, and literature, Tony's guests share their success and give their wisdom. If you're looking to manifest your vision and see how others have done so, be sure to listen to the Tony D'Urso Show every Friday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Do you believe that being fit is difficult? Do you think it requires turning in your favorite comfort foods for boring chicken and broccoli and spending hours in a gym? It doesn't. Tune into Have It All with Devin Alexander. Devin and her guest experts will show you how you can have it all at any age, from relationships to money to thinking bigger than you've ever imagined. Devin will fast-track your goals to yummy reality. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time and 12 noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Influencers Channel. Become a member of VoiceAmerica.com. It's easy and best of all, it's free. Start out by going to our homepage or any of our channels and click register at the top. Once you've created an account and signed in, you can create your own custom library, opt into our newsletter, search by show, host, guest, or topic of interest, or browse millions of hours of content across all of our Voice America radio channels. Membership gets you more. Visit VoiceAmerica.com today to get started and tailor the listening experience to your taste. We don't follow, we lead. Join us, the Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. So we are here with two amazing animal lovers who have a different opinion about how to save the wild horses. We've got Jillian Lyons from the Humane Society of the United States and Marty Irby from Animal Wellness Action. Both love animals, both love horses, as I do. And we're just having a dialectic to try to, A, understand the subject better, and B, what is the best solution? You know, we're all trying our best. Nobody has a crystal ball. But everybody brings their experience to the table. What's worked for them in the past? What might work? Um, Let me ask you about horse breeding, because we know with dogs, the breeders are a big problem. We've seen with Santa Anita Racetrack a huge uproar controversy as horse after horse after horse after horse after horse dies, more than 20 horses. Um, And there's protests out there, which Jane Unchained has covered. But we also know that these animals are bred for perfection. So for every one perfect racehorse, there's a whole bunch of casts off. Our relationship with horses in America is toxic, even though they are an icon, even though they helped us settle our nation. We would not be here in California if it were not for horses taking us from one end to the other. We owe horses so much, and yet what do we do? We bet on them? We ship them to slaughter? I know there's been a lot of debate as to whether we're actually slaughtering them here now or we're sending them on entirely long, horrific journeys to Canada and Mexico to be slaughtered there. But whatever we're doing, we're doing it wrong. So would you address, uh, starting with Marty, please address what we're doing wrong in our culture with horses? 
Well, I think uh, you make a very good point about horse racing, and we actually work together with the Humane Society and ASPCA and a coalition, the Coalition for Horse Racing Integrity, to try to pass the Horse Racing Integrity Act that would end drugging. But that's just a small fraction of the pie of the problem. I do think that since the horse slaughter defund through appropriations has been in place for more than a decade, overbreeding has tremendously decreased. Breeding across the board in all breeds has declined. And, you know, 10 years ago, people would say, well, horse slaughter is not in place in the U.S. now. Their horse is running all over the place and people are turning them loose. You don't hear them saying that today because the market has corrected itself. Now, there are still a tremendous amount of horses that are outcast from the racing industry, outcast from the Tennessee walking horse world, outcast from the quarter horse world that are going to horse slaughter to be shipped overseas for consumption and Asia or Europe or wherever the case may be. Um, I think that is something that is easily solved by passing the SAFE Act that I mentioned earlier. It's HR 961 that would uh, ban horse slaughter in the U.S. and the transport of horses for the purposes of slaughter. So right now, I thought slaughter was banned in the U.S., but you're saying what's legal is the transport to uh, can you clarify that, Jillian? Yeah. I mean, there's been so many laws. What is the state of the law when it, when it comes to horses? Yeah, so uh, hitting on what Marty just said, the defund language that goes into agriculture appropriations every year essentially defunds the ability to inspect horse slaughter plants in the United States so that horses are not slaughtered within United States borders. But essentially, until we pass the SAFE Act, which Marty uh, mentioned is HR 961, and both of our organizations work incredibly hard every year to get through Congress, um, there is no block on transporting horses to Canada or Mexico for them to be slaughtered there. And while numbers have decreased in recent years and there are fewer horses going over those, those borders, it's never gonna be enough for Marty or myself or anybody else working on this issue until that number is zero. So there are a couple of different laws in place, but we, we really do all need the SAFE Act to completely end that export to slaughter. Let me ask you this, isn't there a wild horse and burrow act that, there is. that was supposed to pass to protect America's wild horses. And why wouldn't that stop these horrific roundups via helicopter? So the hard thing about the act itself is that it allows for two mechanisms. One, which is sale without restriction, which essentially means that the agency could sell the horse to anybody that's willing to buy it, including kill buyers. Um, and that process would, of course, be nixed if the SAFE Act went into place. But there is another mechanism in the Act which essentially allows the agency to do something they call destruction, which is not selling to slaughter. It is essentially what they call euthanize. We don't call euthanize. It is killing healthy wild and horses in burrows without sending them to slaughter. So the Act allows the agency, the underlying Act allows the agency to do those two things. Um, but what has happened is that appropriations has put in essentially a defund to the Bureau of Land Management saying that while this is allowed under the act, you can't use your funding to do this right now. Why, why is it that, is this all just because the cattle industry is that strong in Congress? I mean, I'll never forget the day that I went to Congress after the Hallmark Slaughterhouse scandal, uh, which 
I believe the Humane Society was the one who uncovered that video, who shot that undercover video of downed cows being dragged to slaughter, the Hallmark Slaughterhouse scandal many years ago. And in the wake of that, that horrible video, I went to Congress and we went to meet a, an unnamed, I don't know if this person's still in Congress, congressman and progressive environmentalist, uh, supposedly an animal lover. Animal lovers helped elect him. We showed him the video and he literally was too afraid to speak. It was almost like if he said anything, it was almost like there were listening devices in the room. Hello, we're just having a conversation. Isn't this an abomination? Doesn't this show you that the USDA inspectors are looking the other way as down cows, cows too sick to walk, are dragged with chains and tractors to slaughter, creating the potential of mad cow disease and not to mention mind-boggling, unspeakable barbarism. Whoop! Zip! It was almost like he was afraid to speak. That is how strong it was the most powerful lesson to me of how strong these uh, industries are. He, he was on our side and he was too afraid to speak. So what do you deal with in Congress? People need to know, and this is why vote, damn it. You know, get active if you love animals. Yeah, you get, yeah, because these industries control Congress. And I, I got that lesson myself, personal lesson delivered to me when I was trying to have a conversation and the person on the other side of the table, the member of Congress was too afraid to speak because whatever words would come out of his mouth might be something objectionable to the meat, dairy, and animal agriculture industries that control Congress. Can, can you address that, uh, Marty? Yes, thank you for the opportunity. I'd like to add this too, um, because I don't mind naming names. I think Congressman Chris Stewart from Utah and Congressman Ken Calvert from California have been and will continue to be a big part of the problem on this issue. People don't understand about the ag lobby is that they're actually in part funded by producer dollars that are federal tax dollars. So every time a farmer sells a cow, he pays a dollar into a fund to the USDA. The USDA has sort of a branch that's a quasi governmental agency, which is the NCBA, National Cattlemen's Beef Association, that's involved in this. And then those dollars have been utilized in many instances to lobby against policies that were pro-farmer and for policies that were against animals. Now, those dollars should not have actually been able to be utilized for that purpose. I'm getting a little bit into the weeds here, I know, but um, those quasi-government agencies like the NCBA are doing that. There's another bill, the Opportunities for Fairness in Farming Act, S-935, I believe, in the Senate, that would actually require them to show their books to the public, to the American people, to the farmers that are paying in, because now it's just another backroom, dark smoke and cigars uh, kind of deal on Capitol Hill and in the administration. So, Jillian, um, what are your thoughts on all this? So I think you're right. I think that the sort of cattle industry is a 
big, if not the biggest part of this equation, but there is also, you know, my energy mining and all of these different also sort of end users of public lands that play a part in this as well. And I think one of the reasons that HSUS started this in 2015 is we knew that if we did not have conversations with that industry, that we would never be able to get anything and wild horses. If they are there and they are continually blocking us and we're not dialoguing with them in any way, shape, or form, we can't get them to back off their slaughter stance on wild horses. And that's a big part of where these discussions came from many years ago. And it has not been easy because we do not agree on a lot of things. I don't eat meat or animal products. And of course, a lot of them make their living on those same products. But we also have to fundamentally understand that because of Congress and because of that lobby, if they're, oppo if they're opposing us, we can't get PCP through. We can't get any of these things through. So those conversations, while hard, are necessary because literally none of us on this call want to see horses slaughtered or burrows slaughtered. It's incredibly important. And having those hard conversations is a part of making that happen, I think. Marty? Well, you know, I would say one thing I wanted to clarify with Jillian is it was my understanding from our legal team that the proposal you all put forth did not actually require the use of PZP fertility control. Is that incorrect or is that correct, that it actually does in writing require that? So what it requires is the use of safe and humane fertility control tools. And the reason we worded it that way is because we know, and HSUS is working with different universities across the country right now on different fertility control tools that are going to become available and that we hope become available. And there are researchers all over the country and the world doing the same. And while we hold the registration to PCP, and we do fundamentally think at this point it is the only safe and humane tool that is available to the BLM, we need to be open to those conversations and the research that HSUS is doing and the research that you know, Purdue University and all of these universities across the country are doing. That is a part of this. If we want to be involved in fertility control, we have to be open to talking about different kinds of fertility control if they are safe and humane. This does not mean that things like invasive surgical sterilization should be used because they're not the BLM has never been able to show that they can do them safely and humanely on large numbers of wild horses on the range. They haven't showed that. And, you know, there have been great groups and groups that you are working with now, Marty, that have been able to block them in the legal system from using those tools. So I think we could talk about, you know, there are ways to sort of specify PCP. And of course, I love the PCP researchers. and They are a huge part of this equation, but I don't want to negate you know, other tools that become available that should be a big part of this as well. Let so me say I, this. Oh, no, I, I, I just want to jump in and say, I think birth control is such an important answer for everything. Look at this little rescue, little Rico from Puerto Rico here. You know, there's millions and millions and millions and millions of dogs around the world, strays, breeding, cats, same thing. We can, you know, the old cliche, you can put a man on the moon, we can, we can have electric cars, we can send up spaceships. 
I absolutely think there's a way to come up with a one pill because I've heard people debate it. Oh, well, you know, it's too many pills. And then if you give, you have to give four pills to the dog and therefore you're not going to get the fourth pill. And Come on. In this day and age, we should be able to develop a single pill. We have birth control for humans. We should be able to have a single pill sterilization for dogs, for cats, for horses. Boom. And Why you know, that, what? I, HSUS has been working on fertility control for 40 years. I, my dates are hard because we started in the 80s and it seems like just yesterday. But I think one of the things that's hard is that there isn't a sort of end user industry for wildlife fertility control. And we have approached pharmaceutical companies and we have approached different universities and there's always been a sort of, well, what is the sort of financial incentive for those organizations to do something on fertility control because there's not a ton of money in it, but we continue to have those conversations. And obviously we are working with multiple universities on tools right now. So I think we just have to keep pushing that and show it's really not about the dollars. It's about making this world a better place. And a big part of that is not just fertility control for horses, it's for dogs and cats and white-tailed deer and elephants and all of these animals across the world that fertility control can help manage and take away those lethal tools that we as a, as a sort of humanity think is the way to manage animals. And it's just not, we can come, we can be better than that. Marty. Um, so where have we learned about what's happening with the wild horses? I mean, you know, they say argument and counter argument to reach a higher understanding for those who are not, up to date on the arcane inside bill numbers and everything. Let's summarize because we only have about a minute. Each person just yeah. summarize your your proposal. Yeah, I'd say you know as I said earlier that we support the Titus and Grijalva language uh, to increase using five percent of the BLM's budget for fertility control. The problem here is the ag lobby. You talked about it. We've talked about it. It's the cattlemen and the ranchers, the NCBA. At the end of the day. These dollars are basically subsidizing big beef is what they're doing because if we didn't have the cattlemen out there after the land, we wouldn't have a wild horse problem. Uh, we want to work with Congress and work with everyone, but knowing the big ag lobby as it is and how much power they have, the HSUS and ASPCA proposal, the language is too vague. They can bend it. They can twist it. It leaves too many doors open and doesn't have enough requirements on it to tighten things down so that Big Ag can ultimately get their way, and they will come back, and they will. Uh, Jillian, your response or your proposal? Yeah, I think the thing that's important, and it's important to all of us here, is that we need to give the Bureau of Land Management a long-term proposal that can work to stop the cycle that's been happening for 50 years. And I hope that groups are willing to sort of engage in this conversation and say, you know, this may, in, in their sort of mind, this may not be the perfect proposal, but where is that check we can put in place? What is the additional language that we can put in place that makes us more comfortable? Because I worry that if we say, no, we can't have a long-term management proposal, we're just going to do the same and give them a little bit more money. In two years, these horses are much more at risk of going to slaughter or being killed on the range. So I really want everybody to to see this as a moving process. This is not a done deal. Appropriators like Titus and Grohalver are working on this. And I think we should all work together on getting us to a long-term management plan that tells the BLM 
they have to change what they're doing and no horses can die. Well, let's see. I mean, I think this is a great dialogue and I want to compliment both of you for being willing to have it. You know, again, um, you know, we're all on the same side. It's just different approaches regarding strategy. So I think we have another segment. We're going to take a break on Voice America Radio. And I always want to thank Voice America Radio for letting us discuss these issues, which the mainstream media should be covering but doesn't, and uh, certainly not adequately or uh, with the perspective of the animals in mind. And I want to thank our executive producer, Tacey Trump, and A-Rod in the control room. So let's take a quick break. We'll be back in a second, but we're staying live on Facebook. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Sustainable success is just around the corner. If you are an entrepreneur, business leader, or anybody looking for their next level of success, tune into Sustainable Success with host Chris Salem. Did you know that the path to success is a long path that started many years ago? The path you started on then determines what is happening now. Chris and his amazing guests in their field will help you navigate the path to sustainable success every Thursday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Influencers Channel. It's time to unlock some of the best kept secrets in health, wealth, and happiness. Are you ready to live your life to the fullest and hear insider tips from today's experts? Then tune in to The Forbes Factor with celebrity TV host and inspirational icon, Forbes Riley. She's a best-selling author and TV fitness expert, and you know her from QVC and HSN. Now she brings her expert advice and guests to the Voice America Influencers Channel. Tune in live every Tuesday at noon Pacific time at 3 p.m. Eastern time for The Forbes Factor. We guarantee It will be the best hour of your week. We don't follow. We lead. Join us. The Voice America Influencers Channel. You are listening to Jane Unchained. To reach the show today, call in to 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You may also send an email in to News at gmail.com. Now back to the show. All right. We've got a lot of comments coming in on Facebook. Uh, wow. Uh, Paige says, return to freedom, rescue horses from the BLM roundups. Um, and uh, Gabriella says, stop the assault. Uh, by Republicans on our horses and our wildlife. Stop it. You know, we, we don't get political here in terms of parties because we're a nonprofit, but um, just reading some of the comments. What What is your take, Jillian, on this whole, you know, movement? Plant-based is exploding, and are the, is the cattle industry on the defensive, and that's why they're getting more aggressive? Well, what's your take on all of it? You know, I honestly don't work on the, that sort of, issue in my sort of work and career life. But from a personal perspective, I can definitely say, you know, I have not eaten meat since I was in high school. And I have always sort of been the black sheep. But I have started to see more and more as I go through my personal life, people that are shifting away from that mentality. I had dinner with somebody on Friday who's been a serious meat eater all of my life. And they said, you know, I just had a burger a couple of days ago and I didn't feel good about it. So Mm -hmm. I think that all of these conversations that we are having across the 
forward as an animal community, even if they don't always rise to sort of the, the cover of the New York Times level of national publicity, they're having a major effect in Burger King adopting the Impossible Burger and all of these things that are happening are showing that we are shifting away from that sort of industry, that meat industry, and towards more and more plant-based products. But I think what's hard is that there are also more and more people. You know, we just have across the board so many people in the world that are um, reliant on these products. And I think, you know, we start having needing to have a discussion about how we feed all of the people that we have, but how we do it without putting the lives of animals at the expense of all of the lives of humans. So these are really interesting conversations that I don't personally work on, but I do personally think about them in my daily life. Well, Marty, do you see this whole explosive rise of plant-based foods, dairy-free options? I mean, I was at a conference yesterday and we went to Menchie's and, you know, I never would think of going in because I'm a vegan. I wouldn't think of going in there because I thought, oh, that's going to be dairy products. Guess what? They had three vegan options. And one of them was uh, the one I tried with, with almond milk. Absolutely delicious. Then we, we were at this mall, which I don't visit a lot, you know, and we were walking around. I went into Target and there's uh, food at the front. And the, uh, the guy I was with said, well, you probably won't have very many. There's not going to be any vegan options for you. Guess what? I went and looked at the menu. Two vegan options. I mean, we're talking about it invading the culture. Is that impacting this discussion? Can you say to members of Congress, Marty, hey, you know, the, the younger demographics, you should listen to them. And they're the voters of the future um, they're, they're giving you a different message than just let the meat and dairy industry run roughshod over you. Yeah, I think it's making a huge difference. Um, you know, I haven't had a Sonic burger in years, but a few weeks ago I had an Impossible Burger at Farmers and Distillers in D.C., and it was amazing. I told someone it tastes just like a Sonic burger did years ago. And so these products are terrific. Uh, Beyond Meat, I think, is going public this week. But what we are seeing, I'm on Capitol Hill at least four days a week, most of the time five days a week, and lobby on a variety of issues that also have crossover into this. I'm seeing big ag put more and more money into lobbying. and They're doing everything they can because I think long-term they know they're grasping for air. They're throwing money at the problem. They, of course, don't want soy and almond milk to be labeled as milk, and they don't want lab meat to be labeled as meat. So I do see this as something that's uh, a revolution, definitely changing for the better, but don't be surprised when you see more and more dark money coming into the picture and buying off Congress, trying to keep them quiet and in their pocket. Well, by the way, they did this in Europe. I believe the European Union said you can't call anything but milk from cows milk. And guess what? I was in Berlin last fall and oat milk is everywhere. Berlin is like such a vegan city. It blew my mind. I said, am I hallucinating? I was going to take photos of every time I saw a vegan or oat milk or something or other. And I had to stop because that's all I would have done. Oatly, which was a brand that is uh, coming to the United States now, was everywhere. So in the European Union, they tried to kill the plant-based movement by saying you can't call it milk and it says beverage, but people are not dumb. They figured it out. Okay, beverage is milk. I can put this in my coffee and I can drink it. 
And, you know, it didn't work. Let me put it that way. It didn't work. So um, as we have just a couple of seconds, what, how do we come, I'm still unclear. I'm unclear. And I think most people are unclear. And I think one of the reasons why people don't advocate as much as they should for wild horses is that this is such a complicated issue. Let's just talk about the one thing I think that outrages people the most. And that is the helicopters and the wild horse roundups. When I covered this, the helicopters is what got people who didn't care about animals at all. You know, everybody does really, but they weren't, that wasn't their thing. But when they saw these poor baby horses with their mothers racing away from these helicopters, they were like, what the hell? This is terrible. So let's just address that if we could, uh, Jillian. Yeah, so one thing I will say, there is actually a wonderful group called Wild Horse Education that did a lot of work behind the scenes to ensure that while the BLM was doing helicopter gathers, they had to put into place and follow, though they don't always, something that's called the Comprehensive Animal Welfare Protocol. Um, and I think that that is an incredibly important thing, and it is a thing that Congress needs to weigh in on if the BLM is going to continue these gathers. Congress needs to say you have to do these gathers by the Comprehensive Animal Welfare Protocol because otherwise they will continue to do so without no congressional oversight. And I think that's a, an important part of what we put into our proposal. And I think, you know, it's also important for us to understand that because wild horses are not easily accessible, like in 2012, HSUS participated in a fertility control program and there had to be a helicopter gather to get the fertility control into those horses. Um, and that's a really hard thing to say. So we have been working on looking at longer lasting vaccines so there don't have to be helicopter gathers, looking at alternative methods of helicopter gathers, like potentially using drone technology, things mm -hmm. that are less invasive. So I think everybody that's working on this issue needs to be working on this issue in a really holistic way and saying, these are the things that are in place. What can we do with researchers? What can we do with the public? What can we do with Congress to sort of hit every single level of the issue? And a big part of that is finding a way that the agency can get fertility control into horses that are not approachable without the use of helicopters. So that's working on other technologies. Marty? No, I, I agree. The helicopter roundups are terrible. Uh, I know that most everyone you hear from out there is completely against it, and that's why we're against the proposal having roundups in the first place. So working as Jillian said, holistically and for new technologies that help prevent that um, is ideal, but that's not the situation and where we are today. Hopefully we'll get there. And in the meantime, I think, and our organization believes that roundups just aren't. The way. So let me ask you this. First of all, you're saying what I'm hearing as a layperson who's not really deep into this subject, the way you guys are, is that, okay, they could come up with a better uh, sterilization process, but uh, since horses and dogs and cats don't spend money like people who want birth control, there's no real financial incentive. First of all, whoever comes up with it, you're going to win a Nobel Peace Prize, okay? So think about that, you know, going down in history. So somebody who doesn't necessarily care about um, making a fortune and somebody told me that they are that there are people who actually have pills. Uh, this is urban legend, urban myth, but that they're waiting for a way to monetize it and they're holding it back. And, and if that's the case, you can't take it with you. 
Just remember that. However much money you have, you can't take it with you. And so I think we really need to incentivize people um, in, in, to come up with these birth control methods because we could solve so much if we just had a birth control pill for dogs and cats and horses. And the second thing is it's easy to say just stop rounding up the horses. Just stop. But, but that we have to deal with life on life's terms and with the Congress completely under the thumb of these industries and the BLM uh, very much run by people who are either in the industry or were in the industry or are going to be in the industry. Um, we have to be realists. Uh, so, yeah, just give us the last two minutes. Jillian, what are your thoughts on that? I think you hit on a really good point. And I, I worry that a lot of what happens is everybody's saying, okay, well, we don't, and the BLM has done this for years too. We don't have the silver bullet in quotations, we don't have the perfect fix, so we're not going to fix things. And I worry that the more and more we do that and the more and more we say, well, we're going to wait for the perfect birth control or we're going to wait for the perfect method of removing horses from the range and we're going to wait, you know, we just keep pushing it down the road and the political controversy keeps getting higher and higher. And that's what we've been hearing for Congress. And that's why, you know, we came in with this proposal to say this is a potential way to hit that reset button. And to, and to say, not kick the can down the road, not wait until the BLM decides to kill horses and say, we have to solve this first, because if the agency isn't going to, and I don't think that they are, which is why we went to the Congress with this proposal instead of the agency, um, we are leading down a, a bad pathway because of the political realities. Marty? Well, I'd say this is not the Congress to do it. The Democrats just, just took control of the House. And I do see that things are trending that way across the board. Uh, Democrats have always been more friendly toward animal issues, even though I, as a Republican, personally feel they're bipartisan. Um, I just think it's not the time for the roundups in this proposal or a proposal should include something that has much more clear, defined language that ensures that they're not going to slaughter. I have an idea, and it's probably an extremely naive one as we wrap up. I know um, uh, Madeline Pickens, I've met her. She has a beautiful sanctuary uh, that is massive. And she says the BLM has given her a hard time. All she wants to do is take these horses in. She's a very wealthy lady and she's a very big hearted lady. And she just wants to take more and more of these horses in, says they give her a hard time. Um, now, why not create in an era and a time where so many people are disconnected from animals where so many people would give their right arm to see some wild horses running when people pay money to go to zoos okay when people are more the sanctuary movement is exploding why not create a sanctuary in every state take the wild horses divide them up the 50,000 approximately in the holding pens and create these sanctuaries and charge people to go see them they don't have to uh, go there and, and you know, invade their lives. They can use binoculars. They can feed them. They can give them carrots. I mean, people can take their kids. And we could take all this money that we're using to, uh, to kill these animals and to round them up and, and turn it into something good. And I think it would be a hit. You could promote it the way they promote these uh, abusement parks. Instead of an abusement park, come see these wild horses and running free. 
I mean, we got to start thinking outside the box. Maybe all you organizations can get together and create a horse sanctuary, just like one of my heroes, Gene Bauer, created Farm Sanctuary that is now sweeping the nation and inspiring hundreds and hundreds of micro sanctuaries and other sanctuaries. You know, you get one sanctuary going and other people see it and say, I want to do that too. What if, and I'm just throwing it out there, the Humane Society said, we're going to create a horse sanctuary and you can come visit these horses. And here they are on, you know, I took riding lessons when I was a kid at Claremont Stables in Midtown Manhattan. The horses lived underground. We rode them up from the bottom of the building in the basement. If, you, if horses can survive in that, and I wasn't in charge, I would never do that now as an adult. I was a kid. But if horses can live that way, they can live on a limited number of acres, and there can be this. We've got to shift the mentality. Instead of betting on horses, we need to show these horses for the beautiful free beings that they are. And the first one who does that the first one who does that horse sanctuary will spark a movement that will take over this world. And that's what I would suggest. You know, what Buckminster Fuller said, we can't just protest. We've got to come up with a better alternative. What about that? And you use it and you raise funds to it and you bring the school kids and you have the buses coming with all the the horses. It's time to close on Voice America Influencers. Thank you, A-Rod. And we're going we're gonna to end that, but we're just going to finish this off on Facebook. Thank you for tuning in to Jane Unchained. We hope you'll join Jane Velez Mitchell for the next edition of her program next Monday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Influencers channel. Meanwhile, have a peaceful week. 